I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Marmalade Your Property with John Pigeon, a special guest on today. I wanted to bring someone on that could tell a successful story around building a portfolio because there's a lot of wind and noise and whatever you want to call it out there at the minute about how it's impossible to buy your own home and to build a portfolio and the days of building portfolios are long gone. Well, I'm here today to say that that is rubbish because I've got Zoe Chesters here uh, who is living proof that we can build a successful portfolio. So let's Let's get into it. Welcome, Zoe. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure. And uh, and you've been a long-time listener of the show, so thank you for that first and foremost. But I, I wanted to get you on because your story is, a, is one of what I say, great concepts, hard work, and just consistency of playing the long game. How do you rate your portfolio first and foremost? Uh, writing out my background information to send through to you for this podcast is actually was a really good um, opportunity to put it out on paper and see what I have actually achieved and over what time frame I've achieved that in. And I'm actually really happy with what I've done. With what I've done, um, I guess at the start, I didn't start out with a strategy. Um, it was sort of just buy a house to live in and get in the market, um, and that's sort of I guess changed a bit over the years. But yeah, I think I'm you know I'm happy with where I'm at, and I definitely think that more people should be out there doing it. Yeah, and it's a really good um, piece of advice because where, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, now, grew up on the northern beaches, um, moved away from the northern beaches when you were seven. Currently, you're 41, nearly 42, so happy birthday in a few weeks' time. So th- there is a lot of personal information that we're going to uh, uncover today, um, and, and you're up for the challenge. So so thank you for, for um, sharing all of this. But it, you weren't someone from the outset that, I suppose, uh, went to uni and all of a sudden came out on $200,000 a year and, and it was all, all roses. Tell us about, um, I suppose, your life growing up and, and then what, you, what, what your first income was, what your job was. So I guess growing up, I guess we were always, you know, grew up in sort of that comfortable sort of, I guess, sort of middle-ish class um, family. Like we, we weren't um, tight for things. My mum was quite frugal at times, so there were times when we'd have a grocery shop and she'd be like, well, having a frugal week so you can only get whatever. Um, but generally speaking, life was fairly comfortable. But one thing my parents did from a very, very young age, um, and as long as I can remember, was encourage me to make sure I save my money. And they did definitely teach me that value of money. So um, from when I was little, all birthday money, Christmas money, I was always saving that. As I got older, I would start getting pocket money, which uh, I had to do a number of chores for. And if I didn't do it, it would, it would get cut. But that again, you know, I would spend some, but I would also save some. And then that progressed to when I got my first job working um, at Pizza Hut, so just after school, and I'd still continue to save through that. So by the time I got um, to sort of 16, I was able to buy my first car um, without any assistance from mum and dad because they wouldn't anyway. Um, I think that was part of their strategy was, you know, teaching me that from a young age so that I would be in a good position when I got older. Um, They, mum and dad were always, you know, when I was really little, they worked for, you know, big companies and that, but. From when I was about eight, they owned their own businesses. So I was always exposed to that. So I'd go in on school holidays and I'd help out or just hang around with them. 
I know I remember distinctly of a night over the dinner table we would talk about um, what the takings were and the income was for the day. And I know well, I remember when I was younger, I sort of, they would say, oh, it was like a thousand and something dollars today. And I was like, wow, that's so much. And he would stress the point that that's the takings and that's not the profit. And that doesn't mean that's what we've got, um, you know, to spend or anything like that. And the profit mm. figure was very different to that. Um, but that just sort of gave me a good exposure. I think that also put into me that at some point I wanted my own business. And they did talk about property. So they, they were never big on investing themselves. They, they had their person, they always owned their own home. Um, but they would always, every time we moved, which was fairly often, they would sell. Um, if I look back on the houses that we had and what they're worth now, it's like if only they could have or had the foresight to keep them or the financial ability to keep them, they would be, you know, in an extremely different position. Um, they did have one investment property. They bought into a the Radisson um, unit block on the coast. Um, yes. They bought it for not very much. Well, I guess it was a bit at the time. I think it was around under 100000 and they only just sold it recently for under 100000 Wow. Um, yeah. So, over, I mean, that was obviously a bad investment. I guess I've learned from that. So, I certainly won't invest into a similar, similar thing. But they did talk about property a lot and got my interest in that at a young age. Um, and they also talked about shares in that as well, which I've only more recently sort of got into. Um, but it's funny, like as much as dad would talk about it, they never did it themselves that much. So, yeah. Okay. So it is clear from a young age that you had really good money standards and concepts and, and your education around money was really good from, as a result of your parents educating you in that space, um, that, that buying your first car and, and working hard to save really teaches you great concepts, doesn't it? Like it, it, it going the other way of having no savings, no work, no job and, and getting a loan, like you're heading off in a completely different, um, fork in the road when you've got to take uh, debt out to, to buy your own car and it sets you back so much, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If there's one thing that I thank my parents for the most is the education they gave me around like money and finance because um, it's just it put me in that position where once I was like spend on my own and I've made mistakes and I've spent money and wasted money on things that I shouldn't. Um, but I still had that grounding where I'd always then revert back to like that saving nature and, you know, looking ahead and making sure that I, you know, I was thinking about my future and not just blowing it all. Um, I really, really appreciate Yeah, and that's awesome. So let's fast forward. You graduated from high school. You went and did a food and beverage traineeship. Um, and anyone in that industry knows that the incomes aren't that fantastic and the hours are pretty crappy. Um, tell us about that. You, you, you started on, well, a chef apprenticeship was around about 18 grand. And when you qualified, you're on about 52, right? Um, now that was back in 2004. So obviously inflation and everything else means that that's a little bit higher today, but it's still not fantastic money. Uh, but you were able to buy your first home uh, at, at age 23. Just talk to us about that. Um, yeah. So like growing up, I'd always, for most of my growing up anyway, I always wanted to be a vet. So my intention was to go to uni and be a vet. And I thought that would make decent money, but I freaked out in year 10 and decided that's not what I wanted to do. Um, and then at that, that point, I sort of completely changed paths and decided that I would be a chef. So finished year 12 and I had another bit of a moment where I was like, I'm not sure I want to be a chef. So I just got a food and beverage traineeship, worked front of house for a bit. So I started with that. And then I sort of had a bit of a few oh, a year or so in sales, which I didn't like at all. And then that kind of is what got me back to going, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do my apprenticeship. So I went and got that um, and started that in sort of my, when I was like sort of 19-ish. 
And yeah, so throughout my apprenticeship, like I was on pretty, pretty bad money. I was always living out of home um, as well. So I was paying rent, which was a lot cheaper than it is now, but still was paying rent. Um, no government, you know, support or anything like that, no rent assistance or anything. Uh, I was partying hard, being a chef on the Gold Coast. Um, <laughs> and But I still somehow managed to save throughout that, even though my income, like you say, was around at 18 grand. Like it was pretty low at the start. It progressively got a little bit more each year. Um, the other thing I did was I would always do as much overtime as they would give me um, any opportunity to sort of make a bit of extra cash um, I was there for. So, yeah, so throughout my apprenticeship I managed to save, got a deposit together. So when I was in that sort of first year out, I went on a sort of rewarded myself with an overseas holiday, first time overseas, um, and then I got back from that. And a few months later I was like, righto, time to sort of knuckle down and I want my place. So, yeah, I bought a two-bedroom, just a townhouse in in Labrador on the Gold Coast. So pretty um, basic, needed a Renault, it was pretty dated, but um, got me in the market. Yeah. So th- that feeling of that first property at age 23 must have been a, a great one. You've had an overseas holiday for the first time, you've come back and now all of a sudden you're a homeowner at, at, at 23. Um, we paid 194000 for it, which again, doesn't sound much, but um, it's it's all relative, um, and then Dad helped you with some some Renaults uh, internally, and it was a place that you lived in. So that concept of going and finding that property to add value to was that real for you, or was it just that's what you could afford at the time? You, you didn't really understand that the if I add some value to it, then this is what it can be worth later on. Oh, I think it was a bit of both. I think it was definitely came down to what I could fo- could afford and what I was comfortable paying. I know when I went to mortgage brokers, one of them I went to was willing to give me a lot more than the 194000 um, but I knew that that would stretch me and I wasn't comfortable spending that money, so I kept it to where I was comfortable. Um, and I think in that price range, I was either going to get something a lot smaller, like a one-bedroom or something, in an apartment block um, that was done and didn't need any more work, or it was going to be something that needed a bit of a facelift. Um, and I think I, you know, I recognised the ability to be able to add value to that as well. You've mentioned here that you've worked up to four jobs at the one time to fund the cash flow for the Renault. Like that, that's outstanding worth work ethic. <laughs> um, <laughs> so mum and dad have done fantastically well there, but you've also taken the, taken the rein and run with it. Talk to us about four jobs at once. Yes, I had my main job, which was my, as a chef. And so I would do that uh, mostly day shift for the, this period of time, uh, which was very fortunate. And then I was working at Coles doing night shift of a night I was also delivering um, junk mail flyers and so getting to work out at the same time. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And then I had a bit of a door-to-door salesy kind of thing trying to uh, get, you know, those lollies that you go into like a, a shop and you buy the, the five bucks for a pack of lollies or something. So I was getting them into industrial estates. So wow. that was a rough one. Didn't didn't go too well on that one. <laughs> And and you fit in some sleep and maybe a little bit of partying around all of that as well. Yeah, it was amazing what you can do when you're young. <laughs> mm, energy, that's great. And, and again, the work ethic comes through. Um, so you then maybe a couple of years later had a, a change of, uh, I suppose, vocation. You, you're looking to going back and do some studying to maybe you had enough of the hospitality industry. Yeah, I was getting bored of my job. It wasn't as challenging as I wanted. I guess I wanted something where I could use my brain as well as like chefing. You still use your brain, but it's a very physical job, which I love. But I wanted something where I could sort of go and get into that more technical knowledge. So um, I had to think about it and I decided to go and study um, environmental science. Uh, so I went and did that. I was still working full time and studying full time because um, obviously I still had a mortgage to pay, so I couldn't afford to work less. 
but yeah, and I did that to just to change path. I guess something different. And also I did I saw that there was a ceiling with being a chef, like as far as financial, you know, remuneration goes. I wanted to earn more money, basically. So Yeah, absolutely. When you finished your study and and started working in Gladstone in Queensland, your income didn't increase that high though. You were still only on sixty K and and I, I stress this because we're talking to someone here that's built a portfolio that's worth over 3.7 million over a 20 year period. But for a long while, when we're first starting out, we're on 60 grand, like less than 60 grand. Um, so how, how are we saving money in this time? Um, yeah, I guess I was just disciplined. Um, sometimes I look back at it and I wonder how I did manage to save any money. But obviously, you know, things have changed since then, things are dearer now. But I guess it was just like making sure I always put that money aside to save every week or month, depending on what my pay cycle was. So that was always a priority. I did always have sort of like a budget or as Glenn would call it, a spending plan. Um, So I knew how much it cost for me to to live each week and what I needed to have aside to make sure all my bills were covered. So I've been doing that um, in spreadsheets, of course, but for a long time. Uh, And I think that's important because you know where your money's going and then you're not constantly dipping into your savings because you have a surprise Mm. bill or something that you haven't accounted for. Yeah. So again, message out there that it's not what we turn over, it's what's left over. And and that's a that's a key concept through everyone's success stories and and the 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 large incomes don't automatically mean success in terms of wealth creation, um, which which is is great to see in your situation as well, Zoe. I want to take a break and then when we come back, I'm going to talk about a contract that fell over with an ex-partner. I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of building your portfolio, where it is today, and then where you want to take it into the future. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Right, so we had a little bit of a break before we bought our second property. So we had the we got the townhouse in Labrador, two thousand and five, and then it was six years before you purchased your second property, which was the, a, a property in Gladstone, which you lived in. Is that right? Yeah. So it wasn't the intention to start with. Originally, I bought a block of land and I was going to build on it as an investment property, um, but then I met someone and we sort of went into a relationship and things were going well, and the rental market was going nuts in Gladstone because we were renting at the time. 
Um, and so it just made sense for us to, to build a house, for us to live in. And for anyone that knows Gladstone, it's quite a speculative market, isn't it? And the property market up there in Gladstone has been, it's had its very highs and its very lows. Um, when, in 2011, what would you say you bought in? So I was buying into when it was still very high. So the projects were going um, gangbusters on Curtis Island. They hadn't um, necessarily finished all the camps. So they had a lot of workers living in town. So the rental market was just booming. There was heaps of demand. Our rent was going up like every few months um, illegally. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was, just, it was just crazy at that point. And so the land was probably a little bit overpriced for what it was. Um, I guess I did have some awareness that it wasn't going to last. But I wasn't, mm. you know, I wasn't as educated on that as I was. And I also intended on holding it for a very long time. So I sort of thought it didn't matter as much because I could ride the wave. Sure. Okay. So you went on to, to sell that. But uh, interestingly enough, you cross-securitized this property with your Labrador property. Was that a strategy of yours or did you just simply do it because that was your only option? Yeah, I think it was pretty much because that's what I could do. I didn't have a massive deposit at that point to use. Otherwise, um, I wasn't fully across. I wasn't aware of the whole extracting equity um, on a separate loan. Um, and the broker that I used, so I could cross collateralize and use this security and I sounded like, it sounded like a great idea. So mm. I, that's why I did that. I've never done it since. Yeah. And it does sound like a great idea, doesn't it? For those who aren't familiar with it, basically what Zoe did was the value of Labrador, the equity has been taken out from that property and used as collateral for deposit for that property in Gladstone. However, it's not a separate loan. So it's all under one particular loan, which means that if Zoe had to sell Labrador, then the debt from Gladstone would have to be paid um, and they can essentially take the profits from the Labrador property to pay down the Gladstone property for it to stand on its own two feet. Um, so it, it, it avoids lenders' mortgage insurance in a lot of cases, uh, but it is quite a riskier process as opposed to pulling equity out, having that as one loan and then a separate loan for the remainder of the property in Gladstone. Yeah, and we actually did experience that. So when I went and sold Labrador a few years later, it was still linked to Gladstone. And because the Gladstone market had dropped, the bank did a valuation on it and I actually had to, before they would allow me to release the other loan, I actually had to pay money down into it to get it back under the right LVR, which otherwise I wouldn't have. So, so it set you back a little bit there. It did the a little bit. I mean, it wasn't yeah. massive. Um, it was, I think, $23,000, you know, so not extreme amounts, but it definitely, I, that was sort of a wake-up call. I'd, I guess it, by that point I'd already realised that that's not the strategy I should be using, um, but it was kind of just yep. like a, a real-life wake-up call on why you don't do that. All of your portfolio, and we'll expand on it in a moment, but all of your portfolio is in Queensland. Um, was that a strategy at the time or was that just something that you just thought naturally did because you were living up there, you knew the locations, et cetera? Yeah, I think it just comes down to, because I know the locations, um, for the buy and hold ones, I guess it wouldn't really matter what state I was in because they're a long-term thing. For the properties that I've purchased with the intent to reno, um, obviously they're going to have to be somewhat close to where I am because I do do some of the work myself. So yeah, some of it's strategy, but some of it's, yeah, probably fear of going elsewhere. Yeah. So four years later, uh, age 33, we've purchased in Pelican Waters. How did we come up with a deposit for that? I think our purchase price was 535. So was that a cash deposit? Was it equity from Gladstone? Uh, how was the Gladstone property faring at that stage? At that stage, I think the Gladstone property was still sitting okay value-wise. I don't know if there was a heap of equity in there, but it wasn't going backwards. Um, but I actually took, um, I did an equity redraw out of the 
the Labrador uh, property because that had sort of gone up. And, yeah, took, you know, a chunk out of that and that was enough to cover the deposit um, for Pelican Waters. Okay, so we put down a 10% deposit, um, so we needed yep. about 50, 55 grand for that plus stamps. Plus stamps, yeah. And today that's valued about a million dollars. Yeah. Okay, so in eight years we've uh, we've created half a mil, which is a pretty good outcome. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, it started off um, fairly strongly, then it probably slowed down a little bit, but then obviously through COVID the Sunshine Coast has just gone nuts. And so, yeah, it's been a great investment and rental has also gone up, you know, nicely as well. Mm. And, and I noticed that the both the Gladstone property and the Pelican Waters property were actual house and land, so construction. Um, w- was that something that you were interested in or, or was it just uh, a glossy brochure or is it someone knocking on your door? What, what was the, the house and land concept strategy? Yeah, good question. I think I don't really know why for the Gladstone one, but I think some of it comes from mum and dad had always built new homes that like we'd never bought um, a secondhand home. So I guess that was part of just what I was used to and what I knew. Um, I, I know for the Gladstone one, I didn't wasn't really thinking too much about like better depreciation than that, but I certainly was for the Pelican Waters. So I was more aware of that then. So that was a consideration. Um, but I guess I just, when I put the figures together for what I could purchase the land for and then engage a builder and, and go through that for, I just thought I could, you know, make a decent profit or growth out of that straight up. So mm. Yeah. I don't know. Now that strategy may not work and I would be more hesitant to do it now, but at the time it, it seemed to work for me. Okay, cool. So next year we sold Labrador for 305. So we purchased it for 194, sold it for 305. We've, we've extracted some equity from it through the journey. So it's done its job and we've moved it on. Um, we've also released some equity from Pelican Waters. Uh, and then we wanted some temporary retirement with the intent to flip houses. Uh, tell me about this magnificent dream. <laughs> I was working um, on a big uh, construction project um, and in construction, obviously, that comes to an end at some point. So I was made redundant, uh, which I knew was going to happen. And I wanted a break for a while and I really, really wanted to try and flip houses. So I took some time off and I went to a lot of auctions and open homes and put in offers, but nothing sort of came through. And then I, my ex-employer came back and offered me another job. I was doing some casual work in, in between like mowing lawns just for fun, really. But yeah, then my employer came back and sort of offered me um, a FIFO job back in um, being an environmental advisor. And I just thought, you know, this, Brenna things are happening at the moment. So I may as well be making good money while I can, while the opportunity's there. So I went back to that. Awesome. So we're starting to increase our income a little bit here now, aren't we? And, and that gives us a little bit more disposable cash. But by that stage on a small income, you've still purchased three properties uh, over that sort of 10-year period, which is outstanding. So um, fast forward another three years, 2019, we bought our principal place of residence, which still is your PPR today. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it is. So I guess in between that time, I broke up with my ex um, and we sold the Gladstone property and then, yeah, I, that all happened. I met someone else um, and we ended up buying our PP, PPR, which um, was not intended to be a long-term home. It was meant to be a flip. Um, mm. But a few things happened. We started a business in the local town and we have sort of been stuck there ever since. So <laughs> Stuck there. <laughs> so uh, you, you mentioned that you had a relationship split and you did enter into a contract on a piece of land in, in Newport at that time. was How, how murky was that? Uh, fortunately, that land hadn't registered, so it was just a matter of crashing the contract. Um, I tossed up about whether I could continue to go through with it on my own, but I would have to crash it anyway to get the contract in a different name. Um, so I basically yeah, just 
yeah, crashed that one, walked away from that. But then, I don't know, within, I guess, a year later, I went back into that different block of land, slightly dearer, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I still went through with that, which initially I went into it on my own. And then my like, current partner ended up, we ended up doing it jointly for the build. So 2019 was a busy year. You've, you've gone and bought your principal place of residence in the small town for 297 And we've also bought in Newport. Uh, for a total price of seven hundred, so we spent about a million dollars that year. Busy year. Busy year when you put it like that. Yep. <laughs> and and was that um, so? The principal place in in Curra, uh, for for those listeners, where is Curra? It's just north of Gympie, so it's just mm. a small little town. There's really no. There's not much there. There's a servo um, about 15, 15, 20 minutes back into town into Gympie though. So it's certainly a place that's like grown in bounds and leaps since COVID, mm-hmm. through COVID. So um, property prices in that whole region have just gone nuts. And so really it was quite an accidental purchase. We stumbled across it just driving around. It started off as a joke, but then we sort of thought, actually, we could make money off this. Um, but I couldn't even begin to foresee what was going to happen with COVID. So it's actually been like a great little investment and it's led to other things like we've started a business locally in that as well. Fantastic. Yeah, 16 acres, four dams, pool, massive shed, uh, sounds like the dream for those that want to get out of the city. Definitely, yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the Newport property. Uh, we purchased for seven hundred. Its val today is roughly around one point one, and those that have bought in Newport know that it, it's uh, yeah, it's a brand new marina being built, man made. Its prices of land has just rocketed in the last five six years, hasn't it? So at the minute, is that property positive cash flow, or are we still putting money into that? Um, it was positive before we had all these interest rate rises um, and the rent has gone up. I haven't actually sat down recently. I haven't had time, but I haven't sat down and actually worked at exactly where I'm sitting at the moment, but it would probably be slightly negative again, I, I would say. Sure. Okay. And your income's increased a little bit again. So we've got uh, our buffers in place to be able to handle that okay um, to the point where last year, no, no, two years ago, um, you've bought just up the road in Gympie as another investment. So we bought that for 500k. Um, what, yep. What's that renting for today? So that one's renting for 550. Um, it's sort of, it's pretty dated. It needs a reno. So the intention of that one is to actually reno it and then sell it. It's not going to be a long-term hold. We will sell that in a couple of years. Um, but in the meantime, until we've got that time and we're ready to do the reno, it's just tenanted and um, it's just, yeah, sort of, it will be negatively negatively geared definitely now, mm. but it's sort of only going to be short-term in the next couple of years we will get that reno done. Yeah, nice. Okay. And then uh, 12 months later, We've gone and bought another property for one hundred and ninety thousand in Villeneuve. Is that how you pronounce Villeneuve? Uh, it's Villeneuve. Villeneuve. You've you've gone and purchased in Villeneuve. So, uh, again, for the listeners, where is Villeneuve? It's about an hour from the Brisbane airport, so it's just inland from Caboolture. It's uh, near Kilcoy. It's a random little place. It's not somewhere that I would invest long term, but. Um, one of our um, staff needed to offload a house that had really bad experience with tenants not paying and the house had been trashed. And so my partner and I could see potential for to flip it. Um, it's a full gut job, full gut, interior, walls, everything. But there's, I definitely think we can make profit out of it and it gets my little renovation bug satisfied. So, Yeah, so that's interesting. So currently at the moment it's under renovation. When, when do you expect that to be completed? Good question. Um, I took some leave from work to to spend like a good few chunks of like three-week blocks down there to get a lot done, um, but I've still got a lot to do um, and with sort of like we have a business, uh, I have a job, 
and everything and it's I'm struggling to find the time to get back down there. I was just down there on the weekend and sort of I guess from February onwards I'm trying to spend every R and R there. So I'm hoping in the next, I don't know, next few months I would get it finished yeah. and on the market. Yeah. Would you consider outsourcing the renovation or is that just too hard when someone like you that wants to get their hands dirty? Um, yeah, some of it I probably will. I'm tossing up a couple of items to do, but I still fundamentally want to do it myself because it's it's like my hobby. Like it's not just yeah. about the profit. It's um, I really enjoy doing it and it's what I want to be doing, you know, full time ideally. Yeah. And with a 190k purchase price, the holding costs aren't too extravagant, are they? Uh, even though it's not getting rented. Yeah, no, not at all. And we actually um, we don't have a, a loan on that one. So. Oh, you bought that outright. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So how do we fund that? That's interesting. So for the listeners, the income's now no longer sixty k. We're up. We're up into the the late hundreds. Um. So we're we're sort of starting to get into the the higher tax bracket. Um. Are we? Going back to the 16-year-old Zoe, is the savings concept still the same? Do you have a percentage that you carve off each month? How does how does your budgets work at the minute? Yeah, so for a lot of that, you know, in my life it's been either not so much a percentage, it was like a fixed amount um, because my income was quite fixed so I knew what it was going to be, I knew what my bills were and I knew what the savings were and so it was always that amount of minimum and then I would have the leftovers like the play money and then whatever I didn't spend of that would then get funneled over. Or if my bill calculations were out and we actually ended up with a surplus of that at the end of the year, that all then gets funneled into that savings as well. Um, at the moment, because I've got, I'm trying to cash flow like the renovation, um, and I've got a few things going on. My savings is probably a little bit more hit and miss for now, um, but it still is definitely the main focus. And I'm always trying to, um, you know, keep my bills and my costs down. Like we don't, the only thing I've subscribed to is Spotify. I don't have Netflix or anything like that. And so I'm always trying to keep my, you know, keep my cost to a minimum and save what I can. We still enjoy life and we still, you know, uh, go out to dinner and, and do nice things like that um, and have some fun toys, you know, bikes or whatever. But, yeah, I'm definitely very focused on saving and I've been really careful not to let that lifestyle creep sort of eat into my ability to save. Mm, okay. So is uh, the the purchase outright, was that as a result of savings or did we sell something or is, how did that come about? Um, no, that was just, yeah, savings. Mm, awesome. Yeah, it wasn't even an equity release. I know like the deposit for the Gimpy property was equity release from Pelican Waters. Um, but yeah, no, it was just basically savings. Yeah, awesome work. That's great. So as we see it today, um, over the journey, we've purchased seven properties. We've sold two, the first two that we bought. Um, so at the minute, we've got five properties, total value 3.755, I believe, uh, with a debt of 1.7. So it's basically about two mil if we sold down everything, um, minus taxes and sales and everything else. Um, we're, we're basically worth about two mil, which is outstanding. Over 20 years of investing, that's works out at about 100k a year. That's, that's, uh, is that what you expected it to be? Like uh, when you first <laughs> started out at first purchase at 23 like it's you, you're worth two mil that's uh that puts you in the top one percent of the of australia i would have thought yeah well i I've, to be honest i've never even i definitely didn't think about that when i was 23 um i think i wanted to get in the market i wanted to have my own home i wanted to have you know property portfolios i think even then i was more thinking that the rent would be what would pay or, you know the benefit mm -hmm. rather than the capital growth but yeah, I think, yeah, if I, if I had gone back, you know, had a strategy at the start, I might've been more aware that that's what I could achieve. Um, but no, I guess I was just plodding along going through the process and, 
with the goal that I would be able to retire early comfortably. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a minute. Um, let's reflect on the on the portfolio. What what do you think your key learnings have been, and 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 maybe your major wins that you've had that you've been really proud of? Um, I definitely think the wins are, you know, start starting early is definitely a win, and I guess doing your research into to where you should be buying and buying for the right reasons. So obviously Gladstone was probably not the best one, and that would be a learning as to possibly not what to do. Um, Did you know that at the time? No, uh, I kind of always knew it was a bit of a risk, but I did think I'd be holding it long term. And if you look at the mm. value now, um, if I still owned it, I'd be fine again. Yeah. You know, I sold it at the bottom, like the very, very bottom of the market, um, which didn't, sort of didn't hurt too much, I guess. We still covered the, the build and the land price. We just didn't get back everything, we extras we'd put into it. So the landscaping and the pool and all that. But yeah, I guess the sooner you can get started, the better. Definitely start early. Um, you know, think about the future, think about your strategy and what's, what's ahead and what, you know, don't hamstring yourself like by doing something, making a decision early on that's going to bring you unstuck later. Mm. What would you say, you may not have any of these, but what would you say some of your regrets are? If you had your time again, you, you mentioned about maybe having a strategy and looking at a long-term view. You talked about Gladstone a little bit. Is there is there anything that sticks out to you to say, look, 16-year-olds, I wouldn't do this again? Oh. I guess looking back, one of the things is, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I did waste money on over the years, um, partying and whatnot, spring to mind. I don't know if I regret it, but, you know, I guess maybe I'd be more conscious of that. Maybe I could have achieved or got ahead sooner or, you know, bought better assets if I had have maybe spent a little bit less on um, the discretionary stuff. But no, I don't know. I think I guess I had a fairly good balance. Like I still had a fun life. It wasn't to the point where I was only saving and never getting out and doing anything. I still was able to travel. Mm. So I guess, yeah, I think the key things are just, yeah, start early, um, get in as soon as you can and get advice, like educate yourself or get advice because um, I think that's the easy way to come unstuck is when you think you know what you're doing. And I, there was, you know, I still don't know everything. Um, I've definitely learned a lot, but there's still lots of ways that I can make mistakes. And I think it's important. There's so many ways to educate yourself and get advice these days, which weren't around in 2003. Um, and I think mm. it's just like, you, you know, you're setting yourself up, not for failure, but, you know, you, by using advice and getting knowledge, you're definitely giving yourself that boost the otherwise wouldn't have. Fast tracking, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, I've the the fact that um, you've had a really solid, disciplined savings plan, and you've had the ability to travel to Japan, Hong Kong, Thailand, Vietnam, India, like, and and you're still only forty two um, is 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 a great balance. I think it's uh, it's fantastic. So you've been able to throw a lot into that that twenty year journey. Uh, what what's next for you? Um, I guess the priorities at the moment is finish off the the Villeneuve Renault. So get that finished, mm. get that on the market. One of my things at the moment that I'm struggling with is what is next. I guess um, so. One thing, yeah, finish the the renovation, um, and once that's complete. Um, maybe take stock and get a bit of a strategy of how I want to go ahead. So look at when we're going to do the other Renault in Gympie, um, possibly looking at getting another buy and hold at some point in the near future. I definitely need a holiday. It's been far too long since um, <laughs> since I've had one of those. And also, I guess, focus on our business a bit um, and make sure that's, you know, ticking on my and trying to not consume all my spare time. Yeah, okay. So you've mentioned here at the bottom you want to retire from Pay as you go employment when you're 45 and and flip houses full time. Uh, that's an outstanding goal to have. Um, it's it's three years away now without scaring you. Um, what, what's uh, <laughs> what's the plan for that? 
Yeah, I guess so. Once I get this first look done, I think I need to take stock of where I am, like financially and, you know, going forward and put that down on paper and just to see how that would really work out. Um, it, it is a goal that I'm sort of working towards and it's not probably not one that I've really nutted out down to that, you know, detailed, you know, how does that look financially? Because one of the problems is obviously if we're going to flip houses, I need to be able to purchase property and I need borrowing capacity. Um, mm -hmm. And giving up pay-as-you-go work is going to impact that. Um, and just being self-employed will impact that. So I guess, yeah, I just need to, to see if that strategy fits. So you've, you've got a business that you're running locally. Um, yep. is, and I'm, I'm gone into strategy mode here for a minute for you. Is it possible for that business to continue to run? Scott runs it and, and you can do the, do the house thing on the side. Is that um, feasible? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess that's the plan. I would still be able to have some input into the business uh, when needed, but if we get the right um, staffing in place in the business and then along with Scott, um, you know, doing the, the most of the running of it, then, yeah, definitely it is practical for me to, to be flipping houses while he's running the business, yeah. And, and what's your – because a lot of people come to me and say, I want to retire earlier, I want to get out of um, being told what to do and when to work and when to have smoko and everything else – what, what's your major drive for getting out of uh, paid employment? I think it's just to be able to do what I want to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I enjoy my job, but it's still challenging um, and I'm happy to do it for the foreseeable future, but it's mm -hmm. not the one thing that really, like, I'm not super passionate about it like I am about renovating. Um, I love yeah. physically, I love a physical job. I physically like getting in there and doing the work. And yes, I would use a, a mix of trades and that as well. Um, but it's just so rewarding to like, physically renovate a house and have that ultimate transformation at the end. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's great. And and elephant in the room, um, you haven't got kids and don't mm. plan to have any. So we can easily sit back and say, oh, Zoe's just, she's had no kids, so had all this disposable <laughs> cash, right? <laughs> Coming from a guy <laughs> with three kids, I can, I can vouch for that. But your portfolio is already up and running. Uh, whether you decide to have kids later on is neither here nor there because the portfolio was or had already started in your early 20s. And I think that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Definitely getting in early. And if you can set yourself a foundation, like there was a period where there was a point where I may have had kids, but I guess we were also already in a position where um, financially we can make that work. And I, being the person that I am, I would have gone back to work anyway. So I still would have been able to mm. continue that. And so, yeah, the rate of saving and that would have still would have declined a bit um, because of other competing costs with kids. Um, but I just don't think it's a, you, your life doesn't have to go on hold. You don't have to give away all those dreams because you've had kids. Um, and it's a great learning outcome for kids if you do have them and they can see what their parents can achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. No, well done. That's outstanding. Zoe, that, that's pretty much a wrap. I'm really impressed with what I'm reading here today. Uh, it, it's a magnificent journey of discipline and persistence and, and you're, you're living your passion. It's clear that you love to get your hands dirty and, and property is the tool for you to do that. Um, you've, you've got a business that obviously creates a lifestyle for you in a small town. Um, so I don't know. It, it sounds as though your last 20 years wasn't by design. It was just, a, okay, this is what we're going to do now. Maybe in 20 years we didn't have a vision, uh, but that's okay. The, the important part of it is you're here today with a portfolio that's, that's only going to continue to grow. And we, when you look back and say, well, I've averaged over the last 20 years 100K of growth per annum, uh, that, that's uh, an outstanding achievement that you should be very proud of. Yeah, definitely proud of what I've achieved and I guess this is only like partway through the journey. I'm only 40, 
one, nearly 42. So there's still, you know, years and years to go and I'm looking forward to what else there is to come as well. Unbelievable, Zoe. Thank you for um, for reaching out and, and also sharing your personal details. Sometimes it's hard to do that. We haven't um, sugar-coated anything today. We've been raw with the numbers and uh, hopefully for the listeners, we've given you some, some inspiration to be able to build a portfolio and, and realise where there's a will, there's a way. Everyone's situation is going to be very different, uh, but you apply it what your situation is to uh, where you want to take your your, your goals and dreams. So um, thank you for coming on, Zoe, and, and appreciate sharing your information with us today. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate, um, you know, giving me my opportunity to actually tell my story. And it was probably a good experience for me as well, because when you actually lay it out like that, I, I guess I realised what I have achieved in that time. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for uh, allowing us into your ears once again. Until next time, take care. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 